Every Lady Needs a Hobby. A Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries podcast. I'm Mackenzie. I'm Genevieve. This week, we're reviewing Season 3, Episode 8, the series finale. <laughs> Death to us part, the last episode of the series. This but is a big one. The good news is, it's not the end, because now we have the movie. And so maybe, maybe they'll make another movie. I really hope so. That There's been talk of a trilogy, and, like, I just, I want nothing more. Oh, I mean, producers? I want a few things more than that, probably, but yes. as a fan of Miss Fisher, that part of me wants nothing more than at least two more movies. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, like, every Cloud Productions, I am begging on my knees, please make another movie, or two, ideally two more. And, like, honestly, if there's another Kickstarter, I'm in a much better financial position now than it was a few years ago. And I would contribute more. I only yeah. contributed $60 or something cheap, you know? Oh I got the God, bookmark. Yeah. Like, if you tell me that there will be another one, you can have my whole stimulus check. Oh, yeah. <laughs> honestly, Just kidding. Yes. I'm actually going to donate that to, I don't want to say a more worthy cause, but anyway, I will donate money to the Kickstarter. <laughs> Just start it up. Say the word. I'm there. With my checkbook. The point is, we want more movies because the movie is so good. I've okay. How many times have you watched the movie? Um. Okay. So I've only watched it twice, actually. Me Uh, too. And I real. I think I'm holding out. I just want it to still be special. Yeah, that's true. I don't want it to be like I don't want to memorize it too quick. I want it to be special too. And also, I just I you know like I thought I would have more time in lockdown, but I actually am just like may have made myself busy. You know what I mean? doing like three handstand classes a day. That's because I will emerge from this lockdown <laughs> extremely jacked and walk <laughs> on my hands. So, goals. Yes. I, <laughs> I mean, honestly, the main thing that's kept me from watching the movie more often is having a full-time job. Frankly, I just, I just could do without that full-time job thing. That really just takes up a lot of my time. In really yeah. disappointing fashion. Yeah, I I think constantly about ways in which I could no longer have a full-time job. And most of them involve, like, just a, a long-lost cousin disappearing in the war and me inheriting the title and estate of that cousin. And so, Mackenzie, like, that's... You don't want that. You People will end up dead. <laughs> <laughs> Your marriage will be on the rocks. You know, I guess maybe the best... The best thing to do is just keep keep the job, you know? Keep toiling away. Ugh. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Well, do we so, have any housekeeping? Yes. So, Miss Fisher Con 2020 sadly was canceled. Though, silver lining for me, I was going to have to miss it for my brother's wedding. But now that it's rescheduled officially for next year, it will now, be... Now you have to miss both. The wedding and the con. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, the point, joke. the point is next year I'll be able to go. Right, 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 right. Well, yeah, I don't know about the wedding. <laughs> but I bought a I bought a jumpsuit for the rehearsal dinner and a dress for the wedding, both from Mod Cloth, and they're both amazing. And so, I mean, besides wanting my brother to have the wedding of his dreams, I also wanted to wear those those outfits. So. <laughs> Fingers it's a, it's okay to be most excited for a wedding because of the killer outfit that you purchased for it. I I I feel that. I mean, the jumpsuit does have foxes on it. It is it's, so cool. The jumpsuit <laughs> looks like it was made for you. It's amazing. So it's cool. something it has like Mitz Fisher would wear it if she were in the modern era. I think so. Um, I was also considering getting bangs before the wedding, which is also like a Miss Fisher style. 
So, whoa. whoa, this is breaking news to me, listeners. I had no idea this bangs thing was on the table. Oh, yeah. Well, the problem is I'm lazy, so I don't know if it's actually going to happen because I don't want to have to style my hair every day. But imagine how cute it would look in that fox jumpsuit with bangs. Very cute. Very cute. I'm thinking like a really Zoe Deschanel vibe would be given mm-hmm. off there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly what I, what I was thinking. Anyways, the point is that Miss Fisher Con is rescheduled for next year, July 15th through 17th, 2021. The same location in Richmond, Virginia at the Jefferson Hotel. That's all. And then I think also it's worth noting that this may be the final episode of the show that we are reviewing, but we will also be coming out with a review episode or two of the movie. So stay tuned for that. And then stay tuned for further updates. TBD. We do like podcasting. So we have some, we have some ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have ideas, send them our way. Yeah. If you lady needs a hobby.com. Yeah. If you want us to, I don't know. Yeah, just give us some feedback, some input on, on where we could take the podcast after we review the movie. We do love, love to hear from you. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Well, what did you think of this episode? Well, for obvious reasons, I love this episode. Mostly <laughs> the end. But also, this time I watched it, I really, I think because I've been close, more closely watching all the episodes leading up to this, I really feel like it's it's a very touching episode for Franny's relationship with her father, which is obviously sort of secondary to what happens at the end of this episode with Jack. But I just, it was really sweet. It really like, I don't know. I, I think it's really well done. And I, I appreciated it more than I have in the past. So I disagree <laughs> with you. I don't love this episode. And I, I mean, you know, the first time I watched it, it was like my first watch through of the show, right? And I'd been waiting sometimes like angrily for something to happen between <laughs> Franny and Jack. Like it was just, I mean, it was the, the 11th hour. Right. And I knew this was the last episode. So if it was going to happen, it had to happen in this episode. And I just was watching the minutes tick away with this extremely silly murder plot that I did not care about at all. And nothing was happening. <laughs> and I was not amused. And then it was like, you know, there was like a minute left and I was like, okay, well, there's zero chance we're even get, we're going to get like a sex scene. Is there going to be at least a kiss or something? And then, I mean, you know, I wasn't disappointed on that front, but I just, it wasn't what I wanted, you know, and it, what I got what I wanted in the movie, but. Right. But if it had been what you had wanted, would it have been, I just think it wouldn't have been as good if it had been what you wanted. I don't know. I just, I feel like. The soul of the show is the tension between Jack and Franny, the will they or won't they? Like it is the constant backbone running through all three seasons, every Mm -hmm. episode. And I think that the series finale would have been better if it had focused a lot more on that and in the way that the movie did. So Right. But because it's the backbone of the series, they had to continue it as long as possible, including through the last episode. I guess I just think that it would have been better served if they'd spent more of the episode dealing with it. And the, it just felt a little bit rushed at the end. I don't know. I think it was exactly right, though, because if they had if they just leaned into it too early, A, it wouldn't have set the movie up as good as it did. If they were just a couple in the last episode or whatever. That's true. The movie wouldn't have been as, as powerful. They did set up the movie, but I think they could have set it up better. You know, like, what if there'd been a moment, you know, where they had, like, like the like the conflict was addressed, you know, like, 
Oh, because kind, Jack kind of alludes to it where he's like, oh, I was always afraid another man would sweep you away. And she kind of just laughs it off. But I feel like that's, you know, that's the central conflict there, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I feel like if they could have brought that up to the forefront and then left it there, that would have set us up perfectly for that conflict but, to be resolved in the movie. But we didn't know there was going to be a movie, so I don't but know. But I think what makes the show so good is that it is never in the forefront. Yeah, but they do finally bring it up in the movie, and that's very satisfying. But again, it's not in the forefront of the movie either. But they do. They have a conversation about yes, it, you know? it's more in the forefront of the movie, but it's not like... Like, at the end of the day, it's a murder mystery show about yeah. the 1920s and about Phryne Fisher, not about a romance between Phryne and Jack. That is just, like, a delicious, delicious <laughs> undertone the whole time. Yeah, I guess I just wanted... Like, what we got was, like... 97% mystery and 3% romance and I wanted at least 10% romance like this was the series finale and we're talking about fucking glowing eye drops like I don't care I wanted a longer kiss I wanted more sexual attention I wanted you know I wanted the kind of conversation that was had in season three episode one I wanted that mm-hmm. you know no I mean I wanted all that too I'm just saying I think it would have taken away from the power of it if it had been more at the forefront than it was okay. I think the you fact that it remains as a delicious subplot is is what makes it so powerful you might be right. Yeah. I think, you know, I have to constantly fight against my desire for the romantic plot to be the be all and end all of everything, all media that I consume, because I know that that is actually harmful. But, you know, right. Yeah, I that's can't part help of what it. Makes, that's part of what makes the show so good is that it's not the forefront. Yeah, I guess it's just my subconscious wants to wants this to win all the time. So I have to keep that in check. That is the patriarchy. Yes, so. it is. It is. um well should we dive in i guess so (laughs) we're 13 minutes in we've had a whole debate (laughs) you know what it's the season it's the series finale pre-movie and i think we're gonna you know we're gonna make the most of it yeah and i'm on my second drink and the first one was a pretty strong beer so (laughs) buckle up listeners if you're going to write us a negative iTunes review saying that we're drunken. And I accept drink, it today because I am perhaps a bit tipsy. Maybe a little bit. Usually not, but today, yes. Okay. All right. So the finale of Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries opens with uh, a man giving a speech to a group of scientists. He's talking about the expanding universe. Um, meanwhile, at a hospital, last week's villain is being attended by a nurse not last week, two weeks ago. Two, oh, two episodes ago. Two weeks, right, yes. Two episodes this ago. This subplot got completely ignored in the in the last episode. I guess he was in a coma during the, the tennis match. Sorry to me, because that episode was almost perfect. <laughs> yes, I yes, I love that episode. Anyway, so um, the nurse notices briefly a clipping that the man has by his bedside, and he wakes up and just gives her a solid whack. And then a cop comes in to investigate and he garrets that cop <laughs> um, so we're led to believe that he has escaped um and then back at this sort of scientific i don't know what you'd call it symposium or whatever um father o'leary catholic priest of dot and hugh is heckling the scientist who is speaking and the father O'Leary is sort of bustled off by security. And then a Turkish man stands up and also attempts to question the scientists as well, but is cut off. 
And then we catch a glimpse that this hospital whacker from two episodes ago <laughs> is also in attendance at this um, thingamabob. <laughs> it's award ceremony. Award ceremony at a science institute. Um, <laughs> and then finally, uh, late, later that night, we see a tower lit up with a mysterious blue glow, and a watchman goes up to investigate said glow and finds that the scientist from earlier, one Mr. Toad, is both dead and glowing with a blue light. End scene. Indeed. Indeed. My question, I don't know how that glow was, like, emanating. I don't know how it was glowing that much, but... Yeah, I think it's pretty ridiculous that it would have been glowing out into the night, visible from, you know, 50 yards away. But it was, so there you have it. I want to say that it's possible that it could have glowed that much, but I think it would have killed everyone within a, you know, a two-meter radius or something. Well, no, we learned that it's dangerous and ingested. Yeah, I guess, would it just not have been sort of emanating from him? It got on the priest. Anyway, more on that later. More yeah, but the priest later. didn't ingest it. Yeah, I just, I mean, given later. what we know about how much people touch their faces, I think he would have ingested some of it. But anyway, more on that later. <laughs> um. So, meanwhile, at, well, not meanwhile, but the next day, at uh, Shea Fisher, Jack has arrived to inform Franny of the two episode ago killers escape from the hospital. And Baron Fisher has also sim- simultaneously arrived back at Miss Fisher's house from his country sojourn where he had been stashed for safekeeping. Um, and he once again refuses to answer any questions about why this man has been stalking him. And um, Franny is like in an absolute mood at her dad. She's like so irritated. Yes. She's in an agitated state. <laughs> Um, and then this clipping is produced that was at the the man's bedside, um, and it's a newspaper announcement about a prize contest at the Wren Institute of Science. Just then, Mr. B comes in to let us all know that there's been a murder at the Wren Institute of Science. What are the chances? What are the chances? It's literally infinitesimal that this would happen. Couldn't However, be a coincidence. It but it is a coincidence. <laughs> Wrap your head around the, the number of coincidences here. Number one, the scientist who is at this institute also happens to be the Turkish sailor, sailor who was saved by Eugene Fisher in the war and happens to be the town where where Henry Fisher's daughter lives. There's just and like happens to be where this other murder plot is taking place. It's it's insane. It's insane. It's like literally insane. It's ridiculous. And then the, the Turkish sailor scientist who was saved by the old baron also happens to, yeah, have the have his data plagiarized by this other guy who is winning the award. It's insane. It's totally ridiculous. Although I guess the reason for the newspaper, I'm just realizing this now because I was like, why does he have the newspaper clipping? But it must be that he saw... Offendi, Osmond Offendi's mm-hmm. picture in the newspaper and was like, oh, that's my bud. I'm going to go say hi and steal yes. his teapot, I guess. I don't know. Well, no, he didn't steal it. He gave him the teapot. Why did he give him the teapot? This was unclear to me. Because he would like, because he comes, he like sees the newspaper clipping. It was like, oh, that's that guy that I like met back in the day in the war in Turkey. And I'll go see if he'll help me out. And he was Offendi was like, oh, I'll give you this teapot. You can sell it for money, but I can't, like, 
you can't stay with me. Right, right. I missed that. (laughs) All right. So at the Wren Institute, the body is being examined. I just wrote in my note, the bod. (laughs) Bod? Beach bod, am I right? Um, No. Not quite. The bod, the victim. So Mr. Toad, the murder victim, has a bruise on his cheek and has also obviously whacked his head on something. Uh, and he's English, like Baron Fisher, uh, and he has a lady's wristwatch in his pocket with it, the engraving "Remember" on the back of it. My question is, why? Like he was being murdered, and yet Logan wanted him to remember, but he was going to be dead. How do you remember when you're dead? Did he show him the wristwatch before he killed him, or did he just slip it into his pocket? Oh, it would make more sense if he showed it to him before he killed him. I don't know. This guy was really playing the long game, wasn't he? I mean, he lured this man from England with a prize, Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. science prize, which in and of itself is totally absurd. But anyway, more on that later. (laughs) It's also unclear. Yeah, he must have. I don't know. I don't know when the watch was transferred. I don't know. It's never made clear, I don't think. No. So uh, next up, Dot and Hugh are questioning the watchman who thinks that the blue glow signifies aliens having taken Todd's soul away. And he did see a mysterious figure fleeing the scene. He could not say if it was a man like Hugh or a woman like Dot, um, but he definitely or, you know, they, the mysterious figure, had a blue glow emanating from the neck. So... It's really funny how you like once he figures out this guy believes in aliens, he's like talking to him like he's a child. Like he's like, was it a man like me or a woman like Dot? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really funny. And it doesn't really work either. But who knows? What if it really was aliens, though? I mean, I guess there was already a a possible alien subplot in Miss Fisher's modern mysteries. Mm -hmm. Or not already. So there was later that plot um, also wasn't aliens that time. Mm-hmm. But maybe it really was. And they're just very clever aliens. I mean, didn't the government really like, or recently release some kind of Area 51 confidential? I, mean, I didn't read any of it. For the yeah, no, I heard something about it sort of like obliquely. But yes, basically, my conclusion is that UFOs are real and aliens are real. And the government knows it and has been hiding it from us all this time. <laughs> you and Mark Hoppus. Uh, he's, um, he's the guy from Blink-182 who's like an intense Area 51 <laughs> I have no idea and oh it gets like all along you know he he was like right that the government was hiding things I guess I don't know I, I like I said I didn't read about it but yeah so the only conclusion I can come to is that it's real that aliens are real anyway the last fucking thing we need right now is aliens Maybe. have you seen have you seen the tweet going around that's like 2020 is giving off real series finale vibes? <laughs> no. Yeah. And it, it fucking is. So, like, please, no aliens. I'm begging. There's going to be aliens. I'm telling you what, there's going to be aliens. Well, we already have a plague, so. I, I did see sp- spray painted on a tree today when I was out on my run. 2020 is dead on, like, a dead tree. It was very grim. What? We still have seven more months of 2020. It's already dead. It can't dead. be dead. We still have the best months of 2020 yet to come. Ugh, whatever. Okay. Uh, so then next up, Jack and Hugh are still skulking around the Ren Institute when they just 
coincidentally find a crumpled up piece of paper with some scripture written on it. Clue it's Jack and Friday because this is sets up for a very faces close together and a finger on the lips moment. Oh, right. Did I say Dot and Hugh? You said Jack and Hugh. Oh, right. Yes. I meant Jack and Friday. That margarita has gone straight to your head. <laughs> it absolutely has. It's coursing through my veins to my brain. Um, so then um, suddenly Miss Fisher hears some Turkish music. <laughs> an oud. <laughs> but I didn't. Oh, was that the instrument? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't look that up either. <laughs> oh, so you were giving me a hard time about not looking anything up. Oh, no, I was just wondering if you did, because I didn't, and I was hoping that you had. <laughs> I read an entire book as research for this episode. You did not. <laughs> <laughs> I read several books. As ever, we are incredibly prepared. I watched this episode twice in a row, back to back, incredibly prepared. <laughs> Anyways, it was an oud. It was an oud. A Turkish instrument, I believe, for yes. my vast knowledge of Turkey. Yes. And Miss Fisher sort of inexplicably hushes Jack with a finger to the lips so that she can investigate this further. I'm not sure what that's about. Maybe she just really wants to hear it. I think she really just wants to put her finger on Jack's lips. And who doesn't? Mm. <laughs> so they go to investigate. The player of the Oud is Osman Effendi, resident scientist of the Wren Institute and very handsome man. Yeah. Very handsome. Mm. Jack is nonplussed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like way less enthused about this than Friday is. Friday's like, oh, a handsome Turkish scientist who plays music. And Jack's like, um, so what? <laughs> Indeed. Um, so Osman Effendi offers them both tea, which Miss Fisher accepts and Jack really, really doesn't want. Um, <laughs> Effendi professes himself not surprised by the death of Mr. Toad because he had been in, in ill health. Um, and he claims also not to know the man in the wanted poster, which Jack shows him, which is the killer from two episodes ago. Um, and he also mentions the heckling priest from the cold open. Um, yeah, he also makes some comment about the light between celestial bodies is like as his his study and Friday's like, oh, that's so interesting. And Jack's just like literally rolling his eyes. <laughs> is that a fancy way of saying starlight? He studies yes. starlight. OK, yeah. Um, I'll also note that the drawing that they're showing people of the, the escaped man looks nothing like him. So I can see where you might just like say, oh, yeah, I've never seen that person before, even if you had. Right. Also, like, I mean, think about someone showing you a drawing of someone and you having to be like, oh, yes, I saw him yesterday scuttling away, holding a gun, you know, like, <laughs> what? no, unless it was someone like so distinctive looking like, OK, if it was a drawing of like Willem Dafoe, then I would be like, yes, that man with the cheekbones. I saw him, you know, but what if it was like your nondescript next door neighbor, you know? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Also, do you ever find that, like, when you actually try to recall someone's face, you can't actually identify what it, what it looks like, like, in your mind? Oh, yeah, all the time. So, you know, who can say, really, who who you've even seen? Have you ever really seen anyone? Is anyone even real? No, I don't think so. It's <laughs> all this a mirage. Whole, this whole podcast is just an object of your imagination, listeners. The veil is lifted. Oh. So wait, none of this is real? None of it's real. No. <laughs> anyway, 
in this hypothetical uh, universe in which someone has produced a show known as Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries and recorded it, and this is the series finale. Um, next up, Mr. Wren um, is interviewed, and he's the founder of the Institute, and he furnished the money for the prize. Um, does anyone else find it suspicious that this guy wanted to give all his money away to some random scientist from London and not an Australian? Well, but he was also from England. Oh, was he? Okay. Still, it's a bit odd. You know, all the people in the world. I mean, because it's not a coincidence. Yes, although I wasn't suspicious of him yet. I don't remember if I was on first watch. On second watch, I was like, yeah, yeah, he did it. (laughs) He does make some random comment about losing his wife years ago. Yeah. Which is suspicious later. Which is, you know. You'd think if he wasn't interested in getting caught, he would have just left that one alone. I think perhaps he was interested in getting caught. <laughs> a very elaborate plan for revenge. Oh, so also Mr. Wren mentions that um, Mr. Toad came all the way from London to accept his prize and blamed his ill health on the tropics. Hmm. Hmm. So then next up, Hugh and Dot arrive with the clue that the uh, intruder was there on the scene, which isn't really explained. It's just like his coat or something that they found in the bushes. Well, no, it's the con. So the, the guy knocked out or killed the constable. It's unclear in the hospital. And then he wore his uniform. Cause we see him in the constable's uniform at the back of the hall. And then right. I think what he has is a constable jacket. Right. Yes. And he did, he did kill that constable. That part is, he was dead. Is, yeah. No, no, they mentioned it in the beginning that he killed oh. the constable. Oh. Yeah. He strangled him. <sighs> Just on a spree. Yeah, for sure. It's on bad. It's bad. He's lost his mind. Yeah. Um. So then, additionally, Miss Fisher sends Dot off with the wristwatch to investigate, really just to distract her from the fact that she's about to send Hugh off to bring <laughs> in Father O'Leary for questioning. Father O'Leary being the priest that's supposed to marry them. Um. Hugh then goes off to do this, and it goes predictably poorly. <laughs> Well, he admits, he's like, oh, I hit him. The priest admits to hitting Toad. He's like, but it was in the defense of God. And I'm like, well, okay, but did you really need to come to to blows over that? I don't know. How would God have felt about that punch that you threw? <laughs> yeah, it seems a little, a little unchristian. Yes. But. So then um, there's a bit of a flashback to uh, Father O'Leary and Mr. Toad's uh, altercation. Um, where, sorry, uh, we see briefly Mr. Toad with his bottle of eye drops mm-hmm. and we see Father O'Leary throw a punch. Um, and then Father O'Leary, while speaking with Hugh, also brings up the fact that Offendi tried to have a go at Toad as well during his little speech. Mm-hmm. So, also important. And Ofendi, we also learned when they were talking to Logan that Offendi is the runner up for the prize. So Jack seems very eager to consider Effendi a suspect. Yes. I mean, he is suspicious. A little bit. A little bit. I think Jack is mostly thinking that he's very handsome and that Franny seems very interested in how handsome he is. Yes. Jack is very jealous, but I suppose it's not unjustified. No. (laughs) Well, he's also like, you know, he's about to make his move. Yeah. He's gearing up. He's He's going to try. to strike. Someone told him this was a serious finale. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> anyway so back at Shea Fisher 
Um, the house is under guard, but I, in my notes, I have universally referred to this man as the whacker because he whacked <laughs> the nurse in the beginning. The whacker. Um, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll refer to him as Eugene since we all know that's who he is. So Eugene is lurking outside the house. I have him alternately as the creeper and the knuckle cracker because that was his like defining characteristic when we first met him. Oh, right. I forgot that he was the knuckle cracker. He doesn't really knuck- crack his knuckles in this episode surprising they could have brought that back up i know well anyway um there's mail to be had for the baron which he refuses to share with miss fisher resulting in a shouting match um and he retires to his room with the door locked where we are shown the contents of the letter which is a threatening note from the killer naming a rendezvous time or he'll kill everyone Whew. heavy Whew. stuff yeah and did it look like the letter had been readdressed? Like it was, it had been addressed yes. to Tiny, but it was crossed out and had Henry written over it, like as if the killer had taken a piece of her mail and written his little note on it. That must be because I was like, I don't understand why he would have addressed it to her, but I think it must have just been a piece of mail that he like slipped it into. But the mail was handed directly to Mr. Butler from the mailman, so I'm not sure how that was supposed to have happened, but whatever. Was the was the intruder, was the Eugene pretending to be the mailman? I totally missed that if that was the case, but. Oh, maybe, maybe you could be right. I wasn't, I wasn't watching that, but. Huh, I'm going to have to go back and see. Yeah. Um. So then back at City South, Father O'Leary is uh, just insulting Hugh mightily. Um. He wishes them like ants and spiders in their wedding bed. Um. <laughs> Dot is not pleased by this development. And He's like, I don't think I want to be married by a man who punches scientists anyways, which is like a fair point. I don't yeah. know if I'd want to be married by someone who punches scientists. Yeah, I don't think I would either. Fair. Um, also, Dot has found uh, that the watch was made in Europe, but engraved recently. It was made before the war by a company made, named Meyer Towers. And it was never imported to Australia, so someone must have brought it over. Oh. Hmm. Indeed. Uh, so at the morgue, uh, Dr. Mack reveals that Toad definitely died by poison, but she doesn't know what. Just then, Miss Fisher arrives flustered as fuck about her father, the Baron. Um, Jack calms her down, and he says her name. He says Franny in the scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Mack sort of describes the effects of this unknown poison, which sounds bad. Caustic passage through the nose and into the gut and discoloration of the spleen and liver. Gross. Did you write all that down? I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then the killer is still casing the house and the Baron and Dot are complaining about various topics in the kitchen. Um, the Baron picks up the leaflet about the science contest, which is sitting on the kitchen table. And then he's seen slipping some nerve tonic into Bert's tea the nerve tonic um, strikes again. Yes. At the same time that we are, you know, given to know that Bert is guarding the back door to keep intruders out and barons in. That nerve, that nerve tonic. I tell you what. I mean, is it just like basically opium, I assume? Yeah, it must be. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so then uh, back at City South... Jack is going through Toad's little case of uh, hypochondriac supplies. Um, his many little health remedies. His little bottles. 
Um, while simultaneously Franny is examining his research, which appears to have potentially been plagiarized mm-hmm. from Effendi or Osman Effendi. Which is what Effendi was saying at the lecture at the begin or at the prize giving. And he's like, how did you obtain all this, this data from the Southern Hemisphere, having never left England? He's the internet. He Googled it. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so then suddenly Hugh comes in with a Turkish teapot found on the grounds of the Wren Institute. And it has an engraving on it indicating that it's only for royalty, which matches what Franny saw on his other tea set. Which she just happens to know. She's yeah. like, well, this is a Turkish inscription, of course, and I happen to know that it's only used by members of royalty, and I saw it on Effendi's tea service. Ugh, I want to travel the world having tea with Turkish royalty. <sighs> Me too. Unfortunately, I can't travel anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I went to New Hampshire to drop off your cupcakes, there was a, a marquee sign on the highway saying that I should self-quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. They're, the hotels are opening again, but if anyone from out of state wants to book them in New Hampshire, you have to, like, promise that you've self-quarantined for two weeks. And my question is, who's really going to do that? No one's going to do that. Everyone's just going to say that they did it because people are liars. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even I probably would. And I would, I, I shouldn't do that. I should follow the rules. <laughs> This is, it's, it's getting increasingly, I'm such a rule follower and it's just getting so hard. I know, right? We were like out hiking today and it was like, we had to put our masks on every time we saw someone and I kept having to be like, because we are rule followers and we must set an example and put on our masks, even if they are not wearing masks and we feel very stupid. (laughs) Yes. (sighs) All right. Anyways, Jack is very huffy when he realizes that Effendi is royalty. He's like, oh, of course he's royalty. And he's like, ugh, not only can he play music, and he's some famous accomplished scientist, and he's super handsome, but he's also royalty. And Jack is just, like, rolling his eyes. It's, like, unbelievable. I wrote the whole quote down, actually. What did he say? He says, brilliant scientist, talented musician, dashingly handsome, and an Ottoman prince. I like that Jack's just willing to admit all this, though. You know, a lesser man might say, well, he's not that handsome. His pl- his music was bad, and I suspect his research is riddled with flaws. <laughs> but Jack is willing to admit that he is all of those things. But he's very happy about it. So back at Shea Fisher, the nerve tonic has done its work, and Bert is passed out completely with his hat fallen on the ground and his mug spilled. Um time for the Baron to slip out the back and he is immediately snatched by Eugene in the driveway gun to the head just over straight away um back at the institute uh Wren is explaining that it wasn't plagiarism at all it's just normal scientific borrowing which honestly seems pretty much legitimate so I guess it depends on the context but yeah I mean I think that's a debate in in the scientific community about how open source your data should be yeah, I guess it sounds like Fendi didn't think that it was a fair use, and that's significant. Well, it also seems like from the the essay of his that they found in Toad's things, that Toad was just like slightly altering the data to make it appear to be his own data, which is in fact plagiarism and not, you know, on the up and up. Yeah, further evidence that this is absurd um, as a plot in general, because like 
why would they award a you know a humongous prize to this man enough for him to live the rest of his life right without working jack indicates mm-hmm. um so this man is being awarded a hum- awarded a humongous cash prize and his the runner up is this guy from the institute who presumably has extremely similar work that he's being awarded runner up for so it's like nobody investigated that well it just seems like it was this logan it was his own money and i think probably he wanted offendy to win it in the end he wanted offendy to have the money he just also wanted to use it as this like crazy revenge plot for his wife's death yeah i guess so it's just like it seems sort of transparent i guess because it's i mean it's just it's just very silly well but i think that's you know when you have private funding of science, you end up with all of these, you know, conflicts of interest. That's why there should be public funding for science. And also for radio, would you say? I would, yes. Although I will say, you know, small individual members who support the things that they care about can also be very powerful. And in fact, more powerful than government support. <laughs> well, anyway, um, back at Chase. <laughs> Again, not the point of this podcast, (laughs) but you should support your local public radio station. That's a great idea. I do it. Um, So back at Shea Fisher, Dot and Mr. Butler have discovered that the Baron is missing. (gasps) And so is the cab. Bert is roused. That is all. Um, And at City South, Jack is suggesting that naval records should be checked. Um, Why is that? Wait, you skip because you skip them talking to Effendi. Right, I did, yes. Okay. And he said that Toad had stolen his data and that he deserves the prize. And then they confront him with the, the coffee pot. And he's like, oh, I have no idea where that went. I must have been robbed. Um, but he's being very shifty. And so they press him if he knows this fugitive creeper man. And he does. And that's when he tells this whole story about how... They met in the war. Yes. And the man saved his life. And their ship sunk or something. <laughs> yes, but the war changed him because of shell shock. Um, and Effendi tried to convince him to like stay in Turkey to recover, but he insisted on um, returning to England. And then he shows up the night of the prize giving, and that's when Effendi says, "I can't help you, but I'll give you this this pot to sell for money." And then he doesn't even take the teapot; he just leaves it behind. Weird. Yeah, why didn't he sell it for money? Unclear. Um, he's just crazed yeah he, he's clearly lost at this point point. and then that's when he says that jack asked him when his ship was sunk and he's like march 18th 1950 right so then that is why jack wants to check <laughs> naval records for that date um and then we also find out that uh no poison was found in mr toad's case of medical supplies mm. and at this moment then dot calls the station to let Miss Fisher know that the Baron has gone missing. No. <laughs> so uh, Miss Fisher hurries back to her house and everyone starts going through the Baron's belongings to look for clues. And Dot finds a letter from Miss Fisher's mother to the Baron saying that she will leave him if he does not arrive back on that ship that he's scheduled to be on. <gasps> Which he just is going to miss because I yeah. think it was leaving this very day. Indeed. Indeed. 
Um, Hugh, meanwhile, has headed back to the church to find Father O'Leary, who is glowing from the collar with a holy light or polonium. <laughs> He's like, it's the hand of God. <laughs> <laughs> so my thought here is Miss or Mac indicates that this polonium would kill you if you ingested even just a speck of it. And Father O'Leary has it all fucking over him. He's got handprints. He's got it on his collar. And, like, we know that he would have been touching the, you know, his collar and his outfit, whatever you call it, his priestly raiment, and rubbing his eyes, touching his nose, touching his mouth, you know, like 15 times a minute. Science shows he would have been touching those mucous membranes with those polonium particle-coated hands, and he would be dead, dead. Maybe he had a very rigorous hand-washing routine and didn't touch his face. Well, I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do get the the feeling, well, and I also read an entire book about this, but it is a slow, I I don't know that I, like, it's a slow acting poison. Well, the book I, so the book I read was called Radium Girls, and it was about radium, which was used to make watch dials glow in the dark. And all these women who worked in the factory were like slowly poisoned over time because they would lick their paintbrushes. And they were around this radium. So it wasn't it wasn't polonium, but it was like basically a similar setup. And it was a very slow and horrible death where basically like their jaw would just disintegrate. And like they'd go oh. to the de- it was like dentists that originally found it because like they'd go to the dentist and their teeth were just falling out because their their jaw bone was like basically just becoming like honeycomb. Like it was just like and so then like sometimes the dentist would go to pull the teeth and like a whole chunk of their jaw would come out. Oh, that's horrible. It's horrible. Anyways, they don't really go into it that much in this episode, but, like, it was actually this huge problem. Like, in the U.S., like, there there was all these factory, like, watch factories where these women were working and just being slowly poisoned over time in a very gruesome, horrible manner. Oh, my gosh. What, at what point did they realize that it was the radium? Well, it was, like, this whole, like, like I said, dentists sort of started piecing it together and then, like, doctors started piecing it together and then finally they figured it out but similar to in this episode where they imply that toad knew that it was dangerous there was also kind of these scientists who knew it was not quite safe but were kind of covering it up oh that sounds familiar where have we heard that story before (laughs) anyways it's a really good book if you want to read it it's called radium girls all right that does sound good i mean good as in like sort of horrifying disturbing and makes you really angry that something like that was allowed to happen for so long Ugh. Because, yeah, it was basically, like, the dentist would, this, like, kind of group of dentists and doctors were all, like, oh, this is, like, really bad what's happening and sort of, like, piecing it together. And the companies are, like, oh, no, nothing's wrong. I don't know what you're talking about. Ugh. Yeah. Who who else would say such a thing? Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Anyway. um, So, speaking of poisonous substances, Hugh just takes this collar from Father O'Leary, just touches it with his bare hands and brings it back to the Wren Institute to show Jack and Phryne. Um, and it, all three of them decide that those eye drops need to be found. Thus begins a big scene. Right, yeah, because the, the eye drops in his suitcase were unopened and not poisonous. So, Yes, so Hugh heads off in another direction to check some other part of the grounds, leaving Miss Fisher and Jack alone again, mm-hmm. where Miss Fisher begins to have some sort of existential crisis about her father. Maybe it's all her fault. What if she never sees him again? Oh, no. I see. I find this really touching. She's just like sort of, I don't know. It is. It is. It's. This is what I like about this episode. Not, not on the first watch, but now I just like appreciate it more. I'm just like, oh, she's like really... 
like her father drives her crazy, but she really loves him. And like, she's worried that like her being so outspoken and like railing against him is like causing him to create more trouble and like get into more trouble. And anyways, you're right. You're right. So um, Jack is comforting her and then he makes a romantic overture by way of reminding Miss Fisher that she's not a telescope. <laughs> Which is like a little bit weird, but whatever. I'll yeah, it's, it. it's a little odd. Um, and she wants him to improve on it more than anything. And he goes in for the kiss. But at this moment, she spots those damn eye drops on the ground and breaks it off to go get them. And he's just, he's, like, so disappointed. He's just standing there like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, me too. The first time I watched this, I just threw my hands up in absolute exasperation. And I gave up all hope for the rest of the episode, you know? And every time I see it, I'm still just like, why couldn't you have just kissed? Because they sort of, like, wait. Like, their their faces are, like, so close together. And, like, they're about to kiss. And then she's like, oh, a clue. And it's like, no, you could have just kissed and then gone to get the clue. The clue isn't going anywhere. You could have just kissed. And then gotten the clue. Yeah, it's absolutely inexplicable. There's no logical explanation for this. Or they could have gotten the eye drops and then kissed. Oh, completely. Obviously. There are so many ways that they could have kissed in this moment and a hundred moments before. But Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, back at the morgue. Dr. Mack explains that the eye drops are radioactive because they c- contain polonium, which is very dangerous and lethal if ingested or inhaled, but apparently not if you just touch it with your hands a lot. Um, <laughs> well, but it's a slow acting poison over time. And the thing is that he was putting it in his eyes. So it was like poisoning him over time. It must be more lethal than radium though, because like these women who were in the book that I read, they, I mean, it was like years that they sort of, more slowly poisoned even after they stopped working with it, it was like just eating away like eating away at their bones like they became crippled it i i mean it's shockingly horrible oh that's awful now i don't want to read it <laughs> no you you definitely should it's anyway it's a really good book it's very it's written very well well the polonium must have been faster acting because otherwise it wouldn't have killed mr toad so fast right so that's what it must be because yeah, I killed him in the span of, like, whatever, the week that he was in Australia, so. Yeah. So then, um, back at the Wren Institute, um, Wren has gone to get the, he's gotten the order book um, out to find if there was a delivery of polonium to the Institute. There was. There's no names next to it, but it was signed for by Effendi, which is not out of the order ordinary. Um, and then upon investigation, though, it's discovered that the polonium is missing from the store cabinet. <gasps> Where could it be? (laughs) Um, And then in some creepy location, uh, Eugene the killer is fighting with the Baron. And the Baron has kept his secret all these years. But what does he want? I don't know. This is confusing. Money. Whatever. (laughs) Well, and then Osman Effendi comes. And he's like, I can't keep the police at bay much longer. Yes. And Eugene has hidden the Baron before Effendi showed up, but Effendi spots the Baron's shoe and becomes suspicious. Poor Effendi. He never should have come. It's a real shame. I mean, a brilliant scientist, a talented musician, dashingly handsome. Royalty. An Ottoman prince. And just struck down. Uh, A life snuffed out too soon. Oh, what? So then, back at Shea Fisher, uh, Miss Fisher has stayed up all night, uh, and she sends Dot back to the Wren Institute to investigate 
Mr. Toad's research. Uh, and Bert comes in to report that the cab has been found dumped with the Baron's cravat in it. Mm. Uh, and just then, Effendi calls to warn Miss Fisher that Eugene has a hostage, but he is murdered live on the telephone uh. with some kind of old-timey sword, and there's a lot of blood spatter. Huh. Um. So, uh, back at the killer's little hidey hole, he confronts the Baron again, and says he will kill Phryne in front of him when she shows up to rescue him. The Baron doesn't think she's going to show because he's been a really bad father. But he comes up with this lure of the contest prize money, which Eugene was already on to. So it's kind of weird that the Baron brought this up. See, but I don't think he was. Because mm-hmm. he was just, see, this is where I always conflated these two things in the past. When I was watching this time and taking notes, he was just wanting to reconnect with Osman Effendi. I don't think he realized that the prize money was like a factor. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. So. Um, so then Miss Fisher goes to Osman Effendi's office where the address of the little hidey hole is found on, in his ledger. And um, Dot, meanwhile, has discovered that Mr. Toad was invested in a or he invented. Sorry, he invented a paint that was used by the company that made the watch that was found in his pocket. And so Miss Fisher sends her back to look into Toad's science journals, which are located in Ren's office, important point, to find out more about this paint. Indeed. Um, so everyone runs to this hidey hole. Uh, Hugh has found the naval records, and he's chosen this moment to tell them about it. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, wait, A, how did he know where they were? B, he's coming here to, like, relay these important <laughs> events? I don't understand. <laughs> I guess they didn't have cell phones, so they couldn't text each other about it. Um, so we find out that the officer was, in fact, Eugene Fisher, the Baron's cousin and previous Baron of Richmond. Mm-hmm. He was reported missing and presumed drowned during the war. So that's why Baron Henry Fisher was able to inherit the title on the estate. Um, and then in the same scene, they find the contest flyer and realize that the Baron has lured Eugene to the Rent Institute to get the money out of the safe because... You know, where did Franny get those safe cracking skills from? She got them from the Baron, her father. Because of course he did. This it's like it's all just a little too ludicrous to believe, but Yes. It's all just coming together. Indeed. Um, so everyone rushes to the Wren, uh, where they're simultaneously having a second prize ceremony to award second place or runner up now winner Effendi, who is also dead. So I guess there's no third runner up. I'm not really sure what's happening here. Um, <laughs> and um, maybe maybe nobody wanted to step up and accept the third runner-up prize because of sort of a defense against the dark arts professor effect. You know, they yeah. also be murdered. No, that's that's really that's a really interesting tie-in to Harry Potter, as always. <laughs> the prize was cursed, just like the defense against the dark arts position. Well, but the reality was this prize was all lure. Well, see, I think here's my theory is that Logan intended to be caught for this murder. He like he just didn't care, and he wanted Effendi to take the money and like carry on his legacy. Yeah, I think. I think you're right. I think you're right. But that didn't work out, did it? No, because this this ludicrous coincidence of a, a second murderer entering the scene. So many. Effendi from the war. So many coincidences. And never once do they say in the show, what a strange coincidence. <laughs> what they more often say is, could it be a coincidence or is it a clue? 
when they're really always a clue it's always a clue in reality there's just as many clues as there are coincidences but whatever (laughs) whatever we'll get into it so back in ren's office uh dot quickly hides under the table as eugene and the baron come in to crack the safe uh, Dot tries to intervene and almost gets shot by Eugene. And then Miss Fisher and Jack burst in, but Eugene goes full hostage negotiation situation and orders Miss Fisher to open the safe, holding a gun to the Baron's head. She does. She puts the money in a bag, but we see in the safe that polonium clearly mm. visible in there. So, hmm. Mm. And then, like, there's so many of these hostage situations in the show, and the solution is always just, like, somebody rushing the dude with a gun and somehow not getting shot. And that's what happens here. No, because Friday distracts Eugene by asking him questions, and then Henry takes that moment to, like, knock him out. It's actually very clever. Okay. All right. If you say so. (laughs) I do say so. So, after this little scuffle... Eugene is apprehended, um, and the killer of Mr. Toad all along was Wren. Uh, his wife died in the watch factory that used the paint that Toad invented, and he killed Toad with the same poison. This is totally absurd. And he doesn't regret it. Nope. <laughs> but yes, this is where I connected it to that book I read, because he specifically said licking the brushes to a fine point, which is what they did. And then after the whistle was blown on how dangerous the paint was, there was like, they tried to implement, there was this scientist guy who tried to implement all these new safety regulations and the company was like no 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 no, no. that's ridiculous it's still fine ridiculous and also still the case today pretty much (laughs) yeah no turns out um companies with a profit motive aren't looking out for their workers um outside uh the baron and miss fisher have a little moment um and he finally spills it all. Still totally unclear to me why he did not just come clean earlier with the truth, which really does not implicate him in any way. Um, but uh, everyone thought Eugene was dead. He actually had just deserted. Um, and that's why the Baron inherited his title. Um, and then he showed up one day asking for money. And uh, Baron Henry didn't tell anyone because then Eugene would have been court-martialed for desertion. And... Uh, Eugene just kept coming back and blackmailing him further. And it's totally unclear why Henry just went along with this. Um, well, because if he hadn't, Eugene would have, like, taken his title back. But then it's like he wouldn't have because he would have been court-martialed for desertion. Yeah, right? It doesn't make sense. I mean, I think Henry was, like, trying to help him out because he clearly was, like, addled by the war. But then at the point at which he was, like, killing and kidnapping people, he took Franny's entire household hostage. Yeah, and he comes, when he shows up again, he tells Henry, I've killed a man to protect our secret. And so then that's, and then this is what I don't understand. Like, I just, it gets a little convoluted because Henry's like, I felt trapped. So I took the money and ran and I told your mother that I've lost everything in a game of cards. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, um, he wants to go home. He loves his wife, etc. But he's missed the ship. So I guess they're going to have to fly there in an airplane. <laughs> um so uh then back at the house dot and you are having a heart to heart and dot explains that she wants to get married right now tonight before miss fisher flies away to england and why not Hugh agrees because it wouldn't be a series finale without a rushed wedding <laughs> um 
So well, then, but, and it also wouldn't be a series finale without another. This priest is so persuadable. I've talked about this before. He's <laughs> like, he's just so persuadable. And so Hugh then goes and convinces him that God is behind science. And he's just like, oh, you know what? You're right. You know, it's a. I think a persuadable priest is a good person to have on your side. You know, you could get a lot out of that relationship. That's true. No, that's yeah. true. Yeah. I mean, I mean, kudos to Father O'Leary for, you know, coming around to things so quickly. It just <laughs> seems, like, hard to believe that someone so steeped in religious, you know, theology would have just been like, oh. Like, well, this is literally someone who came to blows with a scientist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a lot to take in. It's, yeah, I don't, I don't believe it. But anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, Hugh goes off to convince the priest that... Uh, God loves science. And then it, we have a beautiful wedding scene where Dot is driven to the church in the Hispano Suiza. And she doesn't even close her eyes. And then there's just a, a beautiful wedding ceremony and everyone looks so beautiful. And Dot thanks Miss Fisher for all she's done for her, which is very touching. And I may have teared up a little bit. And then they just. Oh, I was definitely re- like fully crying. And I've seen Aww. this episode like five times. I was just like. <laughs> I've been really emotional lately, but also it's just so sweet and it makes me cry. I understand. I understand. Um, I, yeah, I was close to crying. It was very sweet. I'm also a crier. I cry at like, like what were we watching? We were watching the, um, the season opener of Parks and Rec season six this evening. And that made me tear up. So I'm just, I'm a crier. It's not sad. It's just like Ron goes to Scotland and it made me tear up. I have not watched that. I only watched the first two seasons. But um, I also am a crier. And the older I get, the more likely I am to cry. And I think this is just because the older I get, the more capable I am of empathizing with all the mm-hmm. pain that all the people in the mm-hmm. world are feeling. So, And, like, I cry at happy things. Like, the Parks and Rec season six season opener was, like, it was happy. And it made me cry because it's just, like, everything makes me cry. And then I realized that, like, I always thought my mom was weird for crying at everything. And now I understand because I'm, you know, in my thirties <laughs> now. And it's just like, things make me cry. Oh my gosh. Me too. And also I hate it when other people see me cry. So even if oh, I'm like yeah. watching something next to Dan, my husband who knows everything about me and like, I'm just like constantly like farting in front of and like singing weird songs. If I'm like crying in a movie, oh, yeah. I'm like, I must hide it. I must pretend not to be crying. Even when it's like oh, yeah. totally obvious that I would be crying because it's like Brokeback Mountain or something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no one must know. <laughs> well, I like you're at your most vulnerable when you're crying. Like, I don't know. That's true. That's not true. me your most vulnerable, but like... Yeah, I don't get it. All right. Well, we, we've gotten sidetracked on the way to the most important scene of the whole episode, which is the departure scene. Well, they also see a shooting star. That's true. They do see a shooting star. And which, I think it's very important. Miss Fisher is looking up at the stars and Jack is looking at her. Mm-hmm. Also, I was recently listening to chatting with sherry the other another miss fisher's fan podcast i mean about other things she interviews a lot of people but and she was pointing out that in the movie there's a scene where they're looking at the astrolabe and they see a shooting star and it's a nod to this scene in the in the series and i hadn't realized that when i watched the movie oh yeah i will have to i mean we'll definitely go back and watch the movie again like a dozen times but also because we have to review it we, no, we have to. We'll be delighted to review it. But 
Oh yeah, I'm I'm excited. I need yeah. to watch it several more times before we do. But <laughs> yes. Um, but so then the next scene, Miss Fisher is loading her father into this plane, which like I wouldn't want to fly to Europe in. I wouldn't no. want to fly anywhere in that. No, sir. <laughs> um <laughs> and uh just then Jack drives up and Miss Fisher climbs back out of the plane, runs up to greet him, and uh then this is the moment where it finally happens in the last fucking thirty seconds of the episode, much to my rage, but it's it's very sweet. <laughs> yeah, I paused. I, I was like how long, like, literally one minute is left in the episode, including the credits. When I is. think I may have thought that, like, nothing was going to happen, you know? I think I was like, this is it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not happening. Um, it is so, like, they just run towards each other. It's so. Yes. Yes. They, like, literally run towards each other. I mean, it's just, it is a little, it's been always a little bit confusing to me that she says, come after me, Jack. Um, Because... Does she mean come to England or does she mean pursue me romantically? I think she means pursue me romantically. Right. But then what we see happen in the movie is he does come after her to England. Yes. And that's also what happens in a lot of the fan fiction. (laughs) Um, So, yes, then they kiss. And as always, they're cock blocked by someone, whether it's Aunt P or the Baron or Dot or whatever. He says something Yeah, about, I was so irritated. I was like, why is he here? Why can't they just be kissing? Yeah, why? The kiss, the kiss lasted like one second. Like, <sighs> honestly, it was more like 700 milliseconds. Like, it wasn't even a full second before they had to just, you know. I will say, cool. it looked like a pretty good kiss, though. It did look like good. A, and not like a good kiss. You know, there's people in movies and TV who... They go in for the kiss and it's like all tongue at first because they're wanting to make like a, look like a really passionate kiss. But like no one like you really you don't start with the tongue. And yeah. this, this kiss is the perfect kiss because they're obviously very passionate about kissing each other. It's obviously a very deep kiss, but it's not like ludicrously over the top where they're like. Oh. <laughs> yes, I agree. It's a good kiss. And then that's it. And we have to wait two years until there's a fucking movie. And then we have to wait an entire fucking movie. And then they kiss at the end. Anyway. Um, <laughs> More than two years, I'm pretty sure. Before yeah, how long was it? I wonder. Um, like, more like six, seven or eight years. What, seriously? Well. I, did, I guess I did, forgot that this show came out such a long time ago. Yeah, because, like, I watched it in 2015. Like, probably i think it came on american netflix around 2014 2015 right and then the movie came out in 2020 but it aired in australia before it came on american netflix so wow that's a long time how could they i mean imagine being an australian watcher and please if you are an australian watcher of the show and you watch it in real time and then you have to wait until 2020 to see the movie where they finally fucking went for it like were you enraged or were you enraged please write to us about your thoughts but here's the thing and i just i don't know i'm not a part of a lot of fandoms but i think what's remarkable about the miss fisher fandom and the reason that the movie happened at all is that people stayed so invested in the show even though there's only three seasons and it aired so many years ago people that's true invested in it it says a lot about it. It says a lot about it. And from what we know from talking to Lynn is that it like actually takes a really long time to make a movie. Fair. So. Fair. Yeah. 
I guess there's been a really long lapse in between the Downton Abbey show ending and when the movie got made. So. And you know what? Frankly, the Miss Fisher movie was way better than the Downton Abbey movie. I'm just going to say it was way better. <laughs> I thought they were both good, but there was like zero unresolved sexual tension in the Downton Abbey universe. So it was, you know, it was less anticipated. Yeah, but the Downton Abbey movie, again, I enjoyed it. We went to see it. We got margaritas beforehand. It was a lovely time. Indeed. But it wasn't as exciting as the Miss Fisher movie. The Miss Fisher movie had action. It had, like, a plot that was, like, actually interesting that involved a murder. I mean, it was a little out there. I'm not going to lie. The plot of the Miss Fisher movie was a little out there. But that's the whole (laughs) thing. That's Miss Fisher. That's the brand. It's zany. Yeah. Yeah. The plot of the Downton Abbey movie was, um, was there a plot or... Did I yeah, forget? the king and queen came to down. I'm joking. I think. That's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, but like again, the plot was pretty minor. Yeah, it was minor, and then the whole like downstairs plot was really stupid. Um, but I still loved it. I still loved it. Yeah, but I didn't love it as much as Miss Fisher. Which I mean, granted, I'm a bigger fan of Miss Fisher than I am of Downton Abbey, but I liked both shows. I enjoyed. I've watched them. You know, I've watched Miss Fisher way more than I've watched Downton Abbey, but. Yeah, I think I never really did a Downton Abbey rewatch, um, but I was I really loved Downton Abbey when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I rewatched it because I was watching it as it was airing, at least the later season. So I think I rewatched a couple like the earlier seasons before like a new season would come out, but not like I rewatched Miss Fisher. Yeah, I think same for me. And I used to watch it with my mom. Yeah. And let me just say that, like, thank God that Maggie Smith has not yet caught COVID-19. Like, like everyone, please protect she's such a treasure. Maggie Smith. Yeah, she's a treasure. And, like, I hope that everyone's wearing a mask around her and someone's picking up her groceries and she's just, yeah. like, totally safe. Yes. Anyway, that's an aside. Um, you know who else is a treasure? Miriam Margoyles. I've been watching... Um, call the midwife and she's in she's like plays sort of like a minor role in the end of season seven beginning of season eight and she's so wonderful and I oh love i didn't realize she was in that but i do also love her yeah. she's a great character um all right well that wraps up the episode would you like to do a murder recap i would can we just that kiss though like I know we said this at the top of the episode that you felt like it was it wasn't given enough prominence, but it was so perfect. I thought it was so perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's it was good. I just I needed it to not be at the absolute 11th hour and 59th second, you know. But when she's like, come after me and he's like, is that a romantic overture? And she's like, yes. And he's like, then say it again. It's yeah. Yeah. I mean, we still have the movie. We still have the movie. So if it had ended on this note and this had been the final word on Miss Fisher and Jack, I would have been furious. Furious. That's why everyone was so invested in making sure the movie happened. And it did. Yeah. Okay. Now I'll do the murder recap. (laughs) (laughs) So we have two murder plot lines. Um, I'll go with the, the less convoluted. Well, they're both pretty convoluted. First up, Logan Wren, head of the Science Institute, has plotted an elaborate revenge on the plagiarizing English scientist Mr. Toad, who, with a name like Toad, I mean, he was bound for a bad end. So Toad invented a polonium paint that glowed in the dark and was used in watchmaking. He covered up how dangerous it was, though, and multiple factory workers, including Wren's wife Agnes, died from ingesting it after licking their paintbrushes. Ren arranges for Toad, this is years later, 
arranges for him to win a science prize with his own money, has him travel to Australia, orders polonium in advance of, of his arrival, and then when he arrives, poisons his eye drops, and he slowly dies, and then he's hastened to death after a fist fight with a priest. Because I'm pretty sure that had something to do with him dying so fast. Some anyway. people just get remarried, you know? And so, like, well, and some people let their anger just sizzle for years. And fucking orchestrating a whole long game 50,000 pound science contest. I, it was elaborate, but that was this first murder plot. So silly. So meanwhile, happening insanely in tandem and coincidentally in tandem with this with this eugene fisher the foreign former baron of richmond presumed dead in the war but not actually dead has been stalking henry fisher the current baron of richmond for years now so his ship was gunned down by turkish forces during the war and osman effendi a turkish scientist who was a soldier during the war was rescued by eugene fisher Eugene was shell-shocked and damaged by the war, and Osman tried to convince him to stay in Turkey and recover, but he eventually makes his way back to England, finds Henry, tells him he just wants money, um, but not his title. So he sort of works out this deal where Henry won't turn him in, but will give him some of his money, which I guess that's reasonable. Um, So Henry thinks that's the end of it, but a few years later, Eugene resurfaces, claiming to have killed a man to keep their secret. So Henry's like, "Uh, this is getting weird. And makes it weirder by telling his wife that he's lost all his money in gambling, tries to pay Eugene off again, I think. And then I don't quite understand this part of the plot. He runs to Australia, but Eugene follows him and becomes increasingly violent, kills the concierge at the hotel from two episodes, escapes from police custody by killing a constable, reconnects with Osman Effendi, who is randomly living in Melbourne, where Henry's daughter is living. who tries to help him, and then that doesn't go very well. Um, And he refuses help, basically, throws the teapot in the bushes, takes Henry captive. Osman turns on him because he's realized he's crazy and tells Phryne he's taking Henry captive, leads Eugene to murder him, too, because he's telling Phryne where he's keeping... It's It's all just too much. Anyways, Henry tells him he'll get him the prize money so that he can buy the estate back because Eugene is mad that Henry's gonna sell the house which it's just, it's hard to piece together. But um, meanwhile, Henry's perceived or actual financial troubles have led his wife to threaten to putting him, putting the house up for sale. And then Eugene is finally arrested. It all gets really convoluted at the end. And I'm not sure I have all the points of that, the money and the estate and the wife. Correct. But it's, uh, it's totally believable in the end. Because I think that, I think that Margaret was threatening to put the estate up for sale because Henry had told her he was in financial trouble because he ran with the money to give to Eugene and then Eugene heard about the house being sold. I don't know. It's, I I don't even know. But in the end, eye drops. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it all makes sense. Anyways, best outfit? <laughs> um, <laughs> I did not have a best outfit. What did you put? <laughs> I liked a lot of the outfits in this episode. Um, notably, Mac's vest under the jacket that she's wearing at the wedding is fantastic. You just get a glimpse of it, but it's like embroidered black and white. But that's not what I picked. What I picked was Dot's wedding dress because it's beautiful. Oh, yes, that's true. I should That was an obvious one. I should have chosen that. I loved the veil. Yeah. It was, I, it was just like, it's one of the most beautiful dresses we 
we see on Dot, which is appropriate. It's her wedding dress, but she's just, like, beautiful in it. Indeed. Indeed. Um, did you have a worst outfit? I could not pick one because I felt like all the outfits in this episode were good. <laughs> yeah, there was there was nothing particularly offensive in this episode. Mm-hmm. Which is good. It's the season finale, so. The Indeed. show finale. Indeed. Um, Best week. Um, I actually put Hugh for best week because mm-hmm. he, like, convinces a priest that God is in favor of science. Um, and also, like, just, he just, he just really comes through, you know? It's like, Dot's like, I want to get married right now. And he's like, you know what? I'll take care of it. And he does. And That's there's true. nothing better than when your man does that, you know? When you're like, this is so frustrating and I don't want to deal with it. And they're like, I got this. And then they just do. It's the best. And then and that's the, that's the guy you marry, you know? Yeah. And they get mm-hmm. married. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a really hard time also choosing best week because Briny had a really good week. True. But also Dot and Hugh, they get married. And then Jack has a good week. And then Henry has a really good week because, like, this whole, like, very, sh- I think probably I'm going to go with Henry. This whole, like, weird, stressful blackmail subplot that's, like, been plaguing him for years is finally resolved. And he that's comes clean true. to his daughter. And his wife, he's going to get back home in time, presumably. Hopefully, as long as that plane makes it to England, which seems doubtful. Um, <laughs> he's going to suffer for, for love. Yeah, and he's going to he's gonna save his marriage, which he, he really genuinely seems invested in, despite all his dalliances. Anyways, I think... He's still not a great guy, but he does appear a little better in this episode. That's true. He does. Yeah. It's well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not well, sure it's in real life if it would be believable, but he comes through. In well, fiction. no, absolutely not. It would not be believable. <laughs> um, worst week. Um, I just had a really hard time coming up with worst week because like, I think it would be Osman Effendi if, he didn't get murdered, but he did. And I think uh-huh. that's against the rules to choose a murder victim for worst week. So um, maybe Jack, because he finally gets to express his feelings to Miss Fisher. Then she fucking flies away in a plane. Ooh, that's true. What would you put? I put or father, put? father O'Leary. Because... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah. I mean, he just like has his, has his like, beliefs challenged beliefs that he was like getting into fist fights with people over i mean it's just not a good look for father o'leary also he potentially has polonium poisoning i think definitely he does in real life he would mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pretty old he might not survive that yeah exactly skill of the week uh definitely like turkish i'm just gonna go with turkish that's what i had yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um Murder method. Um, for murder method, I put 84, which is the atomic number of polonium. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> um, that's much better than mine. I put eight for revenge polonium. Okay. And then three for the sneaky sword slashing. I just, I'm not impressed with Eugene's murders. They all just seem stupid. So Yeah, they were all just sort of like blunt force. Yeah, I wasn't impressed with Eugene. But the eye drops, that was creative. Mm-hmm. It was creative. And a long, a long planned revenge sequence. I don't know. I respect it. He really played the long game. He could have invested all that energy into science and think what he would have achieved then. Yeah, I guess he really loved his wife. Weird. Just find a new wife, dude. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not uh, sentimental. Um, 
All right, would you prefer sexual tension? Um, I believe I put 10 billion. 10 million. I, in protest, have put no rating because, you know, you, I mean, I've already extensively discussed my feelings about this and I just wanted more and I didn't get it. So, well, no rating. I thought the romantic overtures, it was so, I, I rated it very high and put a few OMG, OMGs at the end of my writing. Ugh. <sighs> All right, well. Because let me make final case, final case, the sexual tension, the will they or won't they, they finally kiss. And then what does she do? She leaves the continent. That's true. That is tense. It really leaves things on a, a, a note where you're like, what's going to happen? And mm-hmm. what could be more, you know, sexually tense than just mm-hmm. leaving him hanging like that? Like a quick make out and then hopping in a plane. Like, true. For, for liter- like she's going to be gone for an indefinite period of time. Ugh, that's really cruel. It's too bad it wasn't a three-seater plane. Although, that's not sexy, is it? No, no, the whole point is that she's like, come after me. I'm leaving for an indefinite period of time and going, like, literally several continents away. Like, good luck. With my father. <laughs> With my father. And I'm I, I'm going to give you a really passionate kiss before I leave, but then I'm going to leave. Yeah, and you know, he says, I always feared another man would sweep you away. And she does, while in England, have a little dalliance. With another man, so. Who turns out to be a murderer, so that's not great. Rose. Wait, is it the murderer? Or is, I thought it was, like, his brother. I can't remember. Oh, no, you're right. He was sort of complicit, but I, no, no, he accidentally killed the the mother. I can't remember. We're going to have to watch the movie again. Sorry for everyone who was just spoiled by that. I, it's weird if you haven't seen the movie yet. You should yeah, watch you, it. No, you can buy the movie now. It's it's out there. Yeah. The Spoilers are on the table. Um, okay. Well, that wraps us up, I guess. Yeah, next up, Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears. That will literally be our next episode. Oh, wow, that's so exciting. Ugh, we've come a long way, listeners. When we've we started this way. podcast, there was no movie. We are ending the podcast. I mean, we're not ending the podcast. We're ending the series, review of the podcast, and now there's a movie. So we have more to talk about. There will always be more to talk about. Yeah. Huh. I mean, Mackenzie and I talk, like, every day, all day, so yeah, if you something guys, to talk about. If you guys <laughs> want a podcast that's just a transcript of us complaining about our jobs over <laughs> Gchat, then let us know. Um, we could do that. We could anonymize the, the whole thing and just put, put that out there. All right, that wraps us up. Yeah, that's that's the end of season three. That's a wrap on the whole show. Which is, like, just kind of sad. Wow. When we started this podcast, I mean... I wasn't sure we'd ever get to this point, you know? Really? Thanks. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess thanks everyone for listening, you know? I mean, not that this is the last episode, but I do feel like we've closed a chapter, you know? Yes, because, like, when I when I finished watching the show, that was it. That was all there was. Yeah. Now it's not, which is great, and I'm very happy about that. But, yeah, thank you all for listening to us ramble. And thank you for, like, messaging us to let us know that you're listening. Yeah, I, that means I, never, a lot. <laughs> I never thought there would be so many of you that would want to listen to us ramble about this random Australian TV show that ended years ago. Um, but thanks for thanks for tuning in. Frankly, it's it's been a really, really positive part of my life the last couple of years. It's been great. Yeah, it really has. All right. So, well, we'll we'll see you soon for the movie review. But yes. Thanks for coming on this show journey with us. Yes, we'll be back. <laughs> All right. That's it for now. Should we wrap it up the way we usually do?
exactly. Anyways, it's a ludicrous show that is not the show we are reviewing on this podcast. We're extremely off track and we should probably cut all of that. Anyway. (laughs) 